0: All right, good afternoon, New Philly. Measuring growth, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Measuring growth, I mean, not just in terms of ourselves as human beings, but measuring growth as Christians, as believers, is a tricky thing because we feel that following a set of particular dues will guarantee a particular process, outcome, or result. We tend to like to think that growth is systemic. I've talked about this before and I've touched on this issue where we feel like if you just go by certain rules in life or you do the right things at the right time in the right places that things will always turn out for the best and that we will grow. Now, growth doesn't always feel like that, nor does growth always look like that. By way of example, any hikers in this room? I know Elder Gina is a hiker. Yo, if you guys want to go hiking, I feel like Elder Gina's Instagram is always, she's like climbing some new peak, okay? <laughs> I've only gone hiking, like, I could count it on one hand, okay? And those hikes were probably not even real, real hikes. But you know, there's something incredibly humbling about hiking. I remember before I got married to Pastor Daisy, we were like, hey, like, you know, we wanted to go eat 삼겹살, you know, at some new place in in la right so we're like okay we're gonna go hiking in some area around la and we're just gonna like you know you know sometimes when you think about something great that you want to eat and you just want to like pig out right you're like okay i'm gonna do the appropriate exercises that will lead up to that so we said hey let's go find a hike that's like pretty challenging right little did we know that this hike was like an all-day hike okay And after we got to the peak of where we were going to, it wasn't even the end. (laughs) We had to turn back because we're like, "We, we we can't, you know, like there's still more and like hardcore people will keep going and so forth, right? But what's really humbling about going on a hike, about making progress, about going up this hill and you find growth, so to speak, is that you get to the top only to find that there's another top that you didn't see. Measuring growth is tricky because the standards or the ways in which we seek growth in our lives sometimes it's hard to point out. It's hard to settle. I mean, isn't that true in our lives as Christians? Right? It feels like there's an endless list of things that we could be better at, <laughs> there's an endless list of things that we need to attend to in order to become quote unquote better sons, better daughters of God the Father. It seems endless. And even as I talked about last week in my message on faithfulness, this process of being faithful and growing faithfully can feel burdensome because of the weight that we sense behind the growth that we all know and we feel that we need to pursue. So today, we're going to talk about growth. But we're going to talk about growth as it's told from the perspectives of the psalmist, of Psalm 1. The way that the entire Psalter begins, all 150 chapters begins with this all-important psalm. And I think it's there in the first chapter for a very important reason. Again, when you read the Psalms and you're trying to figure out what the Psalms are trying to communicate, right? If you're to put a theme behind what the Psalms are about, you can put it in three words. And it's this, praise the Lord. That is the goal of the psalmist, that we would learn, that we would see how in different seasons of our lives, we would know what it takes and how we ought to pursue the praise of our Father. But Psalm 1 begins with an interesting proposition, that in order to praise Him well, we've got to position ourselves well we got to grow well if you want to praise Him well. And so in a sense, what the psalmist is going to do today is he's going to show us that growth to praise Him better, to praise Him well, is actually an acquired skill, that it is a trait. It is a way to walk in wisdom that will result in a blessing that causes us to love Him all the more. So if you don't have your Bibles open already, do turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, or if you've got your phones with you, open up your apps. And when you're there, let me hear you say, I'm there. And so today, the question that I want to pose is this. That is, how does God invite us to grow? Because growth is real. Growth is, I believe, a necessity. Growth is something that I believe God invites us into. Not just so that we can make a statement to the people around us and say, wow, look at me super holy Christian, but so that something about our experience of praising his name could be all the more sweet. How does God invite us to grow? That is the question I believe the psalmist is trying to answer in Psalm chapter one. So again, if you're there, let me hear you say, I'm there. I'm ready. Let's go. Psalm chapter one, verse one. This is the word of the Lord says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We want to stop there really quickly. This entire psalm is being spearheaded under the theme of the idea of blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Now, in the original language, that word for blessed, you can literally translate that as happy. Happy. In fact, it's the same word That's borrowed in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus goes through the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man. Blessed is he. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed is, blessed, blessed, happy is. And this is, I think, an accurate rendering to talk about blessedness as being happy. Because to be happy in the simplest understanding of it means that you are just content and satisfied with your present state. That, I believe, is the most simplest rendering of how we could understand this idea of being happy. Scripture, though it understands that there are moments of suffering, difficulty, and so forth, I don't think it shies from this idea of pursuing happiness. But again, God's idea of happiness, contentment, and satisfaction in our present places, that is what it is after. And so the way that the psalmist poses this idea of seeking blessedness or happiness is by talking about this thing called the way. Everyone say, the way. Which way are you going? And so what he does is he brings up one particular way. That is, those who do not walk according to God's way of blessedness. And if I go back to verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. One commentator puts it this way, walking on a way is a traditional metaphor for pursuing a set of moral choices in life, where in this case, someone makes the case that our relation to the way is directly correlated with our posture towards who God is, his teachings, and what he has to give in his word. And so Psalm 1 presents the ways a person can walk, sit, or stand on the way towards how an individual can posture him or herself in the ways of God. Which is to say this, our growth has everything to do with where and how we are on this way. Where are you at? It's not just the question you ask to to determine the the logistical and geographical place where a person is. Psalm 1 is asking this question, where are you at, church? Where are you today in relation to this way? So verse 2 picks up then, if the way to go away from blessing is to stand, to sit, or to walk, as these folks do, how do those in blessedness walk? Well, verse 2 says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Delight is the heart, and meditation is the means that the psalmist is proposing for us today. Now, I want to start with that understanding of what it means to meditate. Now, when we think about meditation today, what do you imagine? (sighs) Ah. Mmm wow, that person is meditating on God's Word. I don't know. It just looks like spiritual constipation, right? Ooh. Oh, that's good. I don't know. I don't know. It's just somehow that's kind of normal in our way of thinking through certain things, right? But we want to go back to the understanding, the original understanding of what it means to meditate as dictated by the Psalms and Scripture. Now, that word for meditate actually has a connotation of utterance or murmuring and whispering. So in the mind of the psalmist, and in the minds of the ancient Near East folks who were reading this psalm, to meditate meant that you were reading out loud. It meant that you were taking God's words in its written form, not just silently looking at it, but to speak it over yourself. To us, this is a foreign concept. How many of you guys ride the subway, right? You get to work, you go to places and stuff. Man, like the subways are deathly quiet, right? It's 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 like it's a faux pas, it's a social, it's an outdoor faux pas to speak or talk out loud or when people are on the phone. Ha ha, hi, yeah, no, mohe owner, right? What happens? Everyone starts giving that person dirty looks, right? I mean, have you ever seen people, right, I mean, and just, you go wherever you go, right, you go to a bookstore, you go to Starbucks or wherever, right, and let's just say you're studying, you're doing your work, and you see someone reading a book, and you just see them talking to themselves as they're reading, you go, man, stay away from that person, that's weird, who does that, right, And so we tend to think that meditation in its proper form is just reading and letting it sit in our mind and in our thoughts. And yes, while that is part of the process, that was a foreign way of meditating as dictated in this century, in this ancient Near Eastern context. To meditate meant that you were looking at the word and you say, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You were to murmur, you were to whisper out loud, and that was what it meant to meditate. Because when you begin to say out loud the things that you are reading, you're taking a stance in relation to the people who might be around you. You are saying, what I read, for me, is not just meant to be read, but it's meant to be followed. It's meant to be listened to not just read but listen to listen to so much to the point that i would force those words out of my mouth so that they could come back into my ear and as it comes back into my ear that i would actually let it invite change into my own heart because we tend not to say the things that we do not believe we speak the things that we find agreement with in our hearts how do you teach kids Class, repeat after me. Class, do as I say. And we measure how these students and kids are on their way in accordance with how they follow what we ask. God is inviting that same thing in our lives. To murmur, to speak His words out loud is to invite change gladly into our souls. See, but that idea of meditation is not the only thing that we have to ask about in verse two. It's also this word law. Everyone say law. Law. When you hear that word law, you think to yourself that it's the commands. Law. The things that God tells us to do. Yeah, those are the things that we should utter out loud and just follow what He says. But you see, that word for law that's given in Psalm 1 verse 2 is actually not a specific rendering as much as it's a more general understanding of just simply the instructions, the general words of God Himself, meaning the full counsel of whatever God has to say to us. The picture we get of the one who is on the way, who delights in the law of the Lord, is like a lover, a dater, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend who's so excited to go, hey, babe, call me when you're off work today, because I just want to listen to you. I want to talk to you, babe. Nobody talks like that, right? Everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. Yeah, whatever. Just wait until you guys are dating or some of you guys are already dating. All the daters are just like remaining silent. (laughs) Right. We got words, we got terms, we got ways that we show love to one another. Right. But imagine the one who delights in the words of someone that's going to come to them. What do they do? You wait eagerly. You're excited to listen for what they have to say because you long to be able to give offer, accomplish, fulfill the desires of their heart. That's what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. God, I can't wait to hear and see how you will instruct me, how you will speak to me today. There's a sweetness to that. And this is the picture of someone who doesn't just love God's words. I'm not talking about the biblicist who opens their Bibles, and who knows every passage in God's Word, who is so holy, who is so righteous, they correct you. Oh, wrong prepositional phrase. No, 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 you got that word wrong. No, no, God didn't write that right. I'm not just talking about someone who just merely loves the words of God, but someone who loves His words because they love the person who says them. The psalmist is not just telling us, read your Bible more, merely. He's saying, love the one who speaks. Walk in that way. Walk in that sort of love. And so again, what happens when we begin to meditate, to murmur, to whisper his words in this way? He becomes our delight. He becomes our joy. He becomes our source of happiness and blessedness. The murmuring as we speak his commands and his words and his his whole counsel over ourselves, it means that we delight, we are glad in the change that he invites us into. And so true blessing and happiness is not what happens when you step into a new role or a new circumstantial change. Happiness and blessedness is not when your bank account goes up because you just got a new promotion at your job. That is not the sort of blessing that the psalmist is describing. But it is, it is actually an internal delight and pleasure in God, which now then shows us that the height of human flourishing is to just be happy in our Maker, God, and all that He has provided in his son and the holy spirit which is why i believe jesus says in matthew chapter 4 verse 4 i preached on this a few weeks ago on the wilderness in our wandering when the holy spirit brings us into places where we are devoid of circumstantial blessing jesus shows us that in that place you could say man shall not live by bread alone but by what every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus in the desert was showing us what it sounds like to sing a love song to God. Jesus was showing us that in the face of wanting happiness, blessedness, and joy that can come from all the great things that God might provide in this world, in the desert, Jesus says, here's my love song, Daddy. I'm already the most blessed person who walks on the face of this earth. Why? Because I love you. And I love Every word that comes from your mouth. I don't need food to satisfy me. I don't need the nations of the earth because I already have my father. That is the blessing that comes through this delight. That's what happens when we begin to talk to ourselves. When we begin to murmur. When we begin to whisper over ourselves. One of famous old preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones doctor who became pastor of Westminster Chapel. Some of you guys know Westminster Chapel because you guys have heard of a man who took over after Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. His name is R.T. Kendall, right? Before R.T. Kendall was this man, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote an all-important book on the topic of what you call spiritual depression out of Psalm 42. We're not going to go over Psalm 42, but one of the insights that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones gave out of Psalm 42, when your spirit is downcast... You follow the way of the psalmist, who does what? He talks to himself. He's meditating by murmuring, by whispering, by speaking over himself. His love and his need for God shows in the way that even though everything is said against him, he says, I'm just going to begin to seek delight in the murmuring. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Psalm 42 is weird, friends, because you are hearing someone talk to himself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. See, see, hope for him is not just a concept. Hope is a murmur. And so, Psalm 1 tells us to praise him well, to grow well, means that we need to murmur well. To delight well in Him. We just got to verse (laughs) 2. So the psalmist now gives us a picture. Verse 3. He, the one who delights in His murmuring, in His meditation over the law of God, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that He does, He prospers this imagery would have struck a chord with those who are reading because the ancient near eastern context and the middle east it's not a particularly lush area For the most part it's arid it's dry and so they would have understood they would have known that for a tree to survive in arid conditions like that it's got to be near a water source a stream now for us it is to be like this tree where it is positioned to constantly receive from a living stream that gives us the life we need. And of course, this stream is that law, the Word, the instructions, the very heart of God flowing in and through us. And so the psalmist is trying to bring to life through this image what it's like to grow as people as a tree. And there are three things that I want to highlight in this. The first is this, to grow like a tree means you have to plant yourself somewhere for the long haul. It is not a moving from place to place and from this source to the next. It is simply having a trust and reliance on one source for the long haul. When's the last time you saw a tree survive as it constantly got uprooted and put into another place and then to be uprooted once again and to go to another place again. The picture that the psalmist is giving is that for us the invitation to grow begins happens but it also finishes when you just plant yourself next to his word the second thing is this to grow like a tree means it is often enduring seasons of what i call quiet streams everyone say quiet we like to think that growth as a Christian is only marked by the big moments or the big bang, the big revival or the big awesome th- stuff happens in our lives. But how often do trees experience ba? Do not we see the life, the growth and the health of a tree based on where it is planted and its ability to just receive from those quiet streams. A picture doesn't show everything that's happening. If you took a snapshot of a tree next to a river, you just go, wow, that is a tree next to a river. But you know what fascinates me about ecology? I am not an ecologist. I hardly know anything because I should have paid more attention when I was taking all my ecology classes in undergraduate. But I know this. Great trees become so big, and the bigness of the tree is not even what you see on the outside. It is is, its complex, super strong, rigid structure of its root systems that are buried underneath the ground. You might look at someone and be like, wow, that person is so unimpressive. They don't look like they're growing. They don't look like they got anything going on in their lives because they don't got all the outside stuff to show for it. But we don't see what's happening down underneath in their roots. They're just planted. They're growing. They're not in a rush to show for it. Nobody likes fruit off a tree that's premature anyway. Which is why the psalmist says, I love what the psalmist says. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. There are seasons in our growth where we're not supposed to show for anything. You just stay planted next to the quiet stream. That's not the only thing that comes out of this imagery. To grow like a tree means that we will yield fruit in its season, as I said, but not immediately. I want to highlight that. Some of you guys are listening to this, and you're thinking, Oh, Pastor Billy's just telling us, he's giving us another message, like every other pastor who's saying, just read your Bible more. Friends, if I was just wanting you to read the Bible more, I wouldn't preach a message on it. I would just not preach and make you guys all just read for the sake of reading and just close out our service like that. I don't think the psalmist is just saying read either. I think there's something more that he's after. But maybe some of you guys are encountering this message and you're going, but I'm already reading. I'm already trying to grow. I'm already trying to change and I feel like nothing, nothing, nothing is happening. But again, I want to outline what the psalmist is trying to say. Because for perhaps some of us in this room who have been so accustomed to just reading, to just seeing the words of God, you have forgotten the goal of doing so. The goal is not to read. The goal is to delight. I'm taken aback by an illustration that was once told to me about the late Charles Spurgeon. One of the greatest preachers. They call him the prince of preachers, right? The story goes like this. One day his wife was coming, right? Mrs. Spurgeon was coming into Dr. Spurgeon's office to provide him his afternoon snack and such and so forth and to see, you know, how he's doing. And she couldn't find him in his office. But all she could hear was crying coming from behind his desk. And so she peeked over to see what was going on. And Pastor Charles Spurgeon was behind his desk, on his knees, on the floor, and she's going, Dear, what is going on? What is wrong? What is happening? And in his tears, beating his chest, he goes, In this moment, I could not cry over delight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the thought of who he is, I could not come to find delight. And so I weep. Over my soul. That story always gets to me because sometimes we think that the goal is just to know more. And when we say no in a Western context, we think no. But to know in the Old Testament always was connected to a knowing in the heart. Do I grieve because I didn't read or do I grieve because I didn't delight? Sometimes in our reading, the desire for change, we just want circumstantial change. We just want things to happen. But what we forget is that trees must first flourish and change and grow themselves before it changes what's around it. And you may be in a tough spot, but remember, if you're planted by a stream, your leaf will not wither. You will yield fruit In your proper season. And even though your situation may be bad. You won't be. Your situation may be bad. Because of your delight. You won't be. So I believe this metaphor is helping us understand. That so much happens in the quietness of what feels like passing moments. Friends, every victory, every breakthrough, hear me on this, church. Hear me on this new feeling. Every big moment is grounded in a million others that led up to it. That's why there's no such thing as a passing moment. That's why there's no such thing as a breakthrough that just happened to happen. There are moments... And the quietness that take us to those places. I love what the evangelist D.L. Moody says. He says, a quickening, a change, a conviction that will last must come through the word of God. A man stood up in one of our meetings and said he hoped for enough out of the series of meetings to last him all his life. That's what he said to him. I told him he might as well try to eat enough breakfast at one time to last him a lifetime. That is a mistake that people are making. They are running to religious meetings and they think the meetings are going to do the work. But if these don't bring you into closer contact with the word, the murmuring and the delight of God's word, the whole impression, he says, will be gone in three months. This is even evangelist who traveled, going from place to place, bringing revival meetings to so many different places. And yet at the heart and at the content of what he spoke and preached was Goal is not just one night and one moment, but it is the many moments. And I was listening to a sermon, and it was so fascinating because the pastor was talking about how in our culture, we are told that the most important part of every journey is the beginning. Isn't this true? Even in, in, our, in our walks as Christians, when we, when we talk to people, do we ever ask people, tell me your present testimony? Right? We don't. We, that's not what we mean. When we say, tell me your testimony, what are we saying? Take me back to the beginning of your story. Now, it is important because the beginning does determine the trajectory. But we forget that Scripture is so, so inclined. Not just what happens at the start, but what happens all the way through. All the way through. And I believe that is what the psalmist is interested in. Because he ends this verse by saying that if that is you, you will prosper. Can we talk a little bit about prosperity? Is that all right, church? Now, we all know that biblical prosperity is not just in the form of money, a better situation, or something that's going to happen. We know. What does the psalmist mean when he guarantees prospering out of this passage? This is how one smart guy commentator says it. The state of blessedness or happiness is not a reward. Blessing is not a reward. Let that sink in for just a moment. Oh my gosh, it struck me too. Right? I think think just before I read that, I was praying, Lord, bless me, God. Bless me, Lord. And I can imagine the circumstances and all the change, right? Lord, bless me with this, and bless me by doing this, and bless me by doing that, and as I read your word, may your blessings flow by changing this and that on all this. But it says prosperity and blessing is not that. It is not a reward. Rather, it is the result of a particular type of life. Blessing is not a thing, but it is a state. Blessing is not something you acquire or grab hold of. Blessing just is. So he says, just as a tree with a constant water supply naturally flourishes, so too the person who avoids evil and delights in Torah, that is the word, the law, naturally prospers. For such a person is living within the guidelines set down by the Creator. Thus, the prosperity of the righteous reflects the wisdom of a life lived according to the plan of the giver of all life. In short, prosperity is one who lives a life delighting in the stream. That is God. That is the blessed person. Our circumstances can challenge our state of blessing, but it need not take away from it. The challenges that surround us can come and affect and, take and try to get in the way. But it cannot remove the state of blessing that we are already in when we delight in who God is. So the psalm ends, verses 4, 5, and 6, by saying, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. They have no weight. They have no water. They have no flourishing. So at a moment's notice, they're driven away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. Again, you have this language of what it means to be on the way. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You might be tempted to just end verse 6 by going, great that you know God. But that word for the Lord knows is not just God saying, I see it. I get your circumstance. But that word, for knows actually means that God protects and he embraces those who are on the way that is the literal translation of what's underneath that word that the lord knows as you seek delight and as you seek blessing and though challenges may come along the way the lord knows and so he protects he guards He embraces and he makes himself intimate with us in this journey. And so, how does God invite us to grow? When we are tempted to think that it's just systematic, that it's one thing to the next, how does the Lord invite us to grow? And where is the surety of that growth? He invites us to grow. By a delightfully long nearness to his word. Say that again. He invites us to grow by a delightfully long nearness to his word. Delightfully long nearness to his word. That might challenge some of us because we don't want long. We want delightful. We want change. We don't like long. I love one of the books that Pastor Eugene Peterson wrote. The title of his book, and it's a book on the heart and the spirit of discipleship from the Psalms. Guess what he titled that book? He talks about how discipleship, our becoming like Christ, our growing in Him, is a long obedience in the same direction. That is what I believe the psalmist is trying to help us to see. That growth is a delightfully long journey and a delightfully long nearness to the Word of God. And so as we close, the question that you probably ask is, how do we stay near God's Word? Do I just read? Well, I already talked about it. It's not to just read it. But I want to propose something that could change the way that you seek delight in the Lord. But it's going to require Something maybe that's a little bit different from the way that you have thought about your growth in God. We need to begin to both individually and communally murmur God's word. Everyone say murmur. You know, it it tripped me out when I said murmur, right? And when I saw that, because it sounds like when Jed says, mung, mung, right? When he sees a dog, right? Murmur. Murmur. And I love the way that even that word is murmur, right? Because it's repetitive. It's not just a murmur. No, you got to murmur. <laughs> You've Got to murmur God's word. How do you do it individually? One. Begin to read it out loud. If you're too embarrassed to do it in public, do it in private. If you have a roommate, invite them. What you doing? Talking to myself? <laughs> because why? When you talk, does it affect the way that you feel and you think? Why is it that sometimes when I'm having a bad day and I feel like what I need is to just vent, and I find a friend and I keep venting and I keep talking about my problem out loud, I go home more angry. Right? Oh, you know that person? Oh, I can't stand them. Ah. Oh. Gosh, you know what? I didn't say this out loud, but I'm going to say it. Oh, because you know, we're being vulnerable and we're being honest right now, right? Yeah, I hate that person. You know, and again, I get it. You got to be honest and you got to be vulnerable. It's it's important, right? But it it's important how you finish that out, right? Because if that's the closing note and you got to return your coffee tray as you and your friend part ways, you're going home and you go, "Oh, yeah, man, I didn't realize, but I really hate that guy." That's why I think What we say literally speaks and invites change into our hearts. We we need to begin to murmur to ourselves. But we also need to murmur communally. How do we do that? Even as I bring to light the example that I just gave. What if today, some of you guys are going to go out to eat together. You may begin to start sharing about your life and different things that are happening. Maybe it won't happen in the fellowship that takes place after this. But maybe you're going to meet up with someone. But what if we begin to start talking about how what we've been murmuring is beginning to affect the murmur of our life? What if we invited the delight of God into our conversations communally? Sometimes I think it's funny how people in the church feel awkward to talk about what we do in the church. <laughs> like we feel sometimes awkward to talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives. When's the last time you got together and it wasn't just sharing about your life, but you go, how's Jesus affecting your journey? What is he teaching you? He says, whoa, 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 holy guy. Where are you going with this? No, but what if we just invited His presence in our casual speech, in the sweetness of our dialogue? How has the Lord been speaking to you? You know, one of the things that we've been doing at SWIM these days is we've taken a pause from just this element of it's important. Corporate prayer is very important as we come together. But I just sense that God has been inviting us into a season for us to experience the sweetness of community as we share with each other but also as we share in the reading of God's word. What happens when everyone comes in and we all got stuff going on? True. Can we just be human for a moment? We all got stuff going on. But what happens when the people of God come together and we go, hey, I want to just table my stuff for a moment and I'm going to murmur God's word with you guys right now. Next 30, 45 minutes. Boom. Let's go. We just begin to murmur. I don't think swim, we're at that point yet, right? We will, we'll try this next week, folks, okay? Right? Where you start you know, murmuring out loud, okay? But you know what I find so fascinating is that when we have time and opportunity to share together after, almost all the time, someone goes, dang, you know what? I had this issue. I had this problem. I had this worry that I came in with. But you know what? God's word did the job. Because he spoke to me. What could happen when a community begins to shape its identity around the thing that God had first given to us from the start. Even in creation, what did the earth receive? First, it was the words of its maker. What if we made a return as a community? In this season where there's so much going on and so much happening in your lives and even in the church with transitionings happening left and right, what if our community came together in the one thing that remains constant. And we said, Let us listen to the murmurings of God that would, it would unite us as we journey forward together as a people. I believe that God will start leading us by streams of living water. Psalm 23. I believe that He will make us lie down. I believe that He will make us rest. And I believe that He will make us grow. Church, would you go into that place? Would you go and rest alongside Him that He might fulfill your desire to be blessed in this lifetime? Let's pray.